Amen. Good morning, church. We're going to continue in our series this morning, Stories Jesus Told. And we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 15, which is one of the most popular parables that Jesus preached and spoke about Luke 15, and we're going to start reading in verse 11. I'll be reading this morning out of the CSB. The title of this morning's sermon is The Father and His Children. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, Luke 15, starting in verse 11 reads this way. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father's house, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. 
But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for this story, Lord, that has such deep spiritual truths. We, we thank you, Lord, that so many in this place have been the one in a far-off country that you received, Lord. We thank you for the love of the Father. I pray, Lord, that those that, that may not have children still understand the depth of what it is for a child to be lost and then to be found. We thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate that that is our story. And we ask that you would feed us this day by your precious, powerful word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the good Samaritan are some of the best known stories that Jesus told. Th this story is about two lost sons, not one. But it's really about the love of the father. Remember who Jesus' audience was. His audience were the tax collectors and the sinners. And his audience was also the Pharisees and the scribes. But before Jesus lays out this story, he gives two parables before this to set the stage. Because the Pharisees were offended, not only by the things that Jesus said, but because of the company that he kept. The Pharisees' problem was not so much that sinners responded to the Lord, but how the Lord responded to sinners. Jesus was not with good people. So obviously, Jesus must not be good. So the first parable that is given in Luke chapter 15 is a parable about a person having a hundred sheep. And, and he said to them, which one of you guys having a hundred sheep and loses one, doesn't leave the 
other sheep in the open field, which means in some form of jeopardy, to go and follow after that one. And when you find it, you will put that sheep on your shoulder and you would be overjoyed. And not only would you be overjoyed, you even stated to other people, my sheep that was lost is now found. Rejoice with me. And, and as he said that story, he said to them, I tell you that in the same way that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Then he tells another story about a woman who had 10 silver coins and, and loses one of the coins. And as she, once she loses this coin, she, she gets a light. She sweeps the house and she searches for it carefully until she finds it. And once she finds it, she too calls her neighbors and say, rejoice with me, that coin that I lost has been found. I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who's, who repents. But lost sheep or a lost coin does not compare to lost people. So, so Jesus tells this story about these lost sons. Jesus uses this parable to show the religious leaders both about themselves and about God. They, they thought they, they knew God. But it's been said that the evidence that we know God is not so much our ability to define the divine attributes as it is our response to people. In other words, you could be very theological about God is this. The real evidence of you knowing God is the way you live, and a big part of the way you live is how you interact with others. Right knowledge of God is present when we imitate our Father's response. In other words, we would do the things that he would do. A.W. Tozer wrote this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into our minds when we think about God? What comes into your mind? That, that's the most important thing about you. Knowing God is knowing what brings him joy and what brings him displeasure. Jesus, through this story, was showing that when something of value is lost, we don't despise it, we search for it. And when that thing is found, we rejoice. So through the parable of the lost sheep and through the parable of this lost coin, it was revealed that, that people feel that way about something of value. But, but through this parable of the lost son, it's amazing to see that God feels this way. The sheep 
were lost out in the world. The coin was lost inside of the house. They were both lost. You could be right here today and be lost. It's a horrible thing anytime we see or hear about a child going missing. That, that is one of the greatest fears of a parent. There is, there is a panic and there is an uncertainty of where that child is. But when a grown child wanders off into the wilderness spiritually and morally, the problem is not so much we don't know where they are, but we do. That brings about a different type of pain, and, and that's the layout in this story. The story goes that the man had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate on foolish living. The son's requested, the son requested his inheritance before the father died. I, I remember one time, one of my sons, I, I don't know how old he was, it was 10, and, and the house that we bought was um, a fixer-upper. Like, I know how to fix stuff, so I'm like, I'm buying a house, cheap, and we're going to fix it. And my wife wasn't thrilled about that because it wasn't the first time we did that. But along the way, we lived there since my boys were one and two years old. Maybe he was 10 and, you know, I was doing my projects here and there. And we got to the point where I guess the house to him started looking okay. Because he asked the question, Dad. When you die, who's going to get this house? <laughs> I, I'm looking for skateboards on the top of the steps after that. I'm like, what, what kind of question is that? Imagine this son going to his father, and, and, and in a sense, he, he may as well have said, you looking too healthy. I can't wait for you to die to get my inheritance. I have plans. Give me my share now. Give me what I have coming to me. So sometimes we have to think about what the Bible says so it says, so he distributed the assets to them. That does not mean that the father just said, okay, son, 
here's your portion. You know, sometimes when someone is telling you a story and then they start adding all these details in that they didn't have to add, now you don't even want to hear the story anymore. So, I'm sure there had to be some conversation. But eventually the father came to the place where he recognized what we as parents sometimes have to recognize. There's nothing I could do about this situation. I'm going to have to let them go, even if it's going into the wilderness. Because as a parent, I can't impose my will on anybody. That must have been the place this father came to. This son was determined to have total independence. And, 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 and as it says in this story that he wanted his share of the estate, so it was his part was distributed to him. Not many days later, the son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country. I'm sure he didn't have a staff and whatever he had in his room or tent with goats and sheep. No, he liquidated and he had ready cash and went, it says, to a distant country. A, a distant country would lend to him going to a Gentile company, country that had pagan values and heathen morals. He, he, did, he went far. He wanted to get away. But as we've learned in life, choices bring about consequence. Consequences aren't always bad. Consequences, your payment for what you've done. But, but there's always a consequence. You know, some people just want to learn for themselves. There's always a price to pay for that. You know, when, when your parents are telling you stories, it's not um, just so we could have something to talk about, but it is so you can learn from their mistakes and actions, and you don't have to repeat it. Uh, so often what happens is if you've had, let's say, a colorful life, and you let your kids know those things, sometimes they pick up this attitude of, well, it worked out for you in the long run. They don't see the scars and the residue and the things that don't go away even though we are called the redeemed. We know that the Bible tells us that pleasure of sin is fleeting. 
It, it doesn't remain. The Bible tells us, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You will weep what you sow. Those that sow to the flesh will reap destruction, and those that sow to the Spirit, eternal life. So like all good times, his became just a memory. And once the good times are over, reality kicks in. And it brings about, in his life, desperation, a denigration. And one thing we know about desperation is it knows no pride. It says, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who spent, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Those friends that you may be partying with, when you're in that pig pen, they ain't going to be nowhere to be found. This is the crazy part about this story. What if it ended right there? The scribes and the Pharisees would have been like, yup, that's exactly what he deserves. Remember who Jesus is speaking to here. That's what they did. That's what he did. Leave them right there in the pig pen. That's life. That's where these tax collectors and sinners belong. But one, one thing that we know, even in our own lives, when Jesus is telling this story, and the reason why when I'm singing these songs, I'm crying. I have my hands up and worshiping. I'm looking out. Some of y'all ain't doing that. I'm like, you know what? I know what I've been through in my life. So I'm singing, and I'm crying, and I'm like, God, there's always a plot twist when Jesus gets involved says, when he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired workers have enough food to eat and I'm here dying of hunger? I'll get up. I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in, in your sight. I'm no longer worthy. He never was. We never are. To be called your son, make me like one of your hired workers. The boy came to the point where he saw reality. That is the first step of repentance. Seeing God for who he is and seeing ourselves for who we really are. Accepting responsibility for being in that pig pen. I see people wallowing in the pig pen and making up every excuse in the world like, like it was a wrestling match and some wrestler threw them into the pig pen. 
No, you worked yourself into that place. So he got up. And he, he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son said to him, you know, this thing he had rehearsed before, father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. And his father interjected before he could even finish what he was saying. But the father told his servants, quick, hurry up now. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fat and calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. He left home stating, I got to do me. He went back home saying, Father, I need you. A hard place to return, beaten and defeated, smelling like a pig and wearing rags with your head hung down low. Look at the father. Father was waiting for his son. His father was looking for him. The, the son was too far off to express repentance. But the Father's grace was already present. The Son didn't deserve it. If anything, in our economy, what we would say is, you could come back, but you're going to have to gain my trust. See, Putting the best robe on was only the robe you use when you were going to a party, when you were going to celebrate. You know, some of y'all got dancing shoes in your closet. Maybe they have dust on them. Hope they do. The ring he put on his finger wasn't for decoration. It was the stamp where it was like money, like a checkbook, for him to go and have the authority that he once had. And it was slaves and servants that wore no shoes, but not sons. They wore sandals. So, so the father just immediately restored him to his position. No, he didn't deserve it. But this is not a story about merit. This is a story about grace. The God that, that runs and rejoices and embraces 
when a child returns home, a, a rebel, and God shouts, welcome home. This is a story about a father's heart. But now, in this story, the way Jesus would do it, he pulls out a mirror and he faces that mirror to these Pharisees and, and these scribes. And the story continues yet again. It says, now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry, and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. You see, the, the father is showing grace and mercy to this son as well. That was the father's house. And this was an act of open rebellion in the front of others. And the father humbled himself by approaching his son and pleading with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving for many years from you, for you. Wow. I've never disobeyed your order, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the, the fatted calf for him. And his father responds, son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he's found. Mark Twain said, having spent considerable time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with tax collectors and sinners. There is a, a goodness that's not good. There is a, a righteousness that is not right. The, the older brother appeared to have a relationship with his father the same way the Pharisees claimed to have a relationship with God. But the older son would rather not have fellowship with his father if it meant he had to accept his brother. Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, your treatment of others are keeping you out of the father's house. Refusing those that the Lord accepts is no small matter. It actually reveals our relationship with God. 
the oldest son showed contempt for the father. He was self-centered. He cared nothing about the father's longing, nor did he care about the needs of his little brother. He was self-righteous. I've been slaving. What kind of language is that to use in your parents' house? That, that everything that you're working for here is ours, and when I leave is going to be yours and your offspring. And you are telling me I've been slaving all of these years? He was privileged. He had servants. It must have been real hard telling other people what to do. He said, you never gave me. I was always with you. As if these things like merited something and it, and it, and it was like such a, 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 a hard thing for him to do. You know how many times, like my parents have eight kids and I'm the oldest, that I thought to myself, I couldn't have been born in any other situation, God. Privilege does that. This, this language, even him saying, this son of yours, it reveals attitude. It reveals your outlook on things. Privilege is something else, especially for Americans. Too many are just spoiled. I've been a lot of places. I've been in countries where they did not know where their next meal was coming from. And when I heard them pray, they were not praying about that next meal. Not only for themselves, but for their children. No, they were praising God, giving him glory for who he is. Go outside right now and have a flat tire. God, why? You know I got pancakes waiting for me. Sometimes being privileged leads to disenchantment. Even with God's people, that feeling of being disappointed about something, no longer believing that that is good or that is worthwhile. There's much to be said about this oldest son's lostness and this younger son's foundness, which is not a word, but you get it. But this is really about the love and the wisdom of the Father. Jesus was speaking to these Pharisees about pride of what blindness and lostness looks like and how the son 
that was right there in the house was just as lost as the one when he was in a far-off country. For the father to not rejoice when his lost son came home would be to deny who he was. He was not going to cancel the party because of the attitude of the older son. God has a party and he rejoices over his found children. You can come up, worship team. Think about this in this story. The story doesn't have a conclusion. It, it doesn't have an ending. The party went on. The older brother did not enter. Or did he? The question was put back on the Pharisees and the scribes. Basically saying, oh, the tax collector and the sinner don't deserve grace? Are you going to try to keep them out? Because what you're actually doing is you're staying out of God's house because of that. To reject the Father's gracious treatment of the most unworthy sinners is to deceive ourselves in our need of grace and is to forfeit fellowship with the Father. Your morality can't get you into the party. And there's a celebration in the house of the Lord. And he calls all that would come to enter in. Don't be in church so long that you forget your pig pen experience. One of the reasons why I'm a crybaby is because it constantly comes back to my mind. God's grace, who deserves it? There's repercussions. This younger son paid for the rest of his life. First off, he squandered a big part at least a third of the inheritance. He, he, he comes back into a family where there's going to need to be some rebuilding. He's going back into a community after he's acted foolishly. And, and, and we've experienced some of those things. And sometimes what we choose to do instead of face it is just keep running instead of going back to the father's house. And then there's so many others that want to be the gatekeeper of who and how and what it looks like to be 
God's children. No, come in in your filthy rags out of the pig pen. God has drawn you in because he loves you. And he loves you so much that he's not going to keep you that way. And, and, and when you're in, and little by little, we start challenging you on those things, take it as brotherly, sisterly love. Because it's one of the instruments that God uses to start to clean you up. What happens is we, we come in, we get a little clean and a little comfortable, and then we want to stay like that. And how dare anybody say anything about me? Because I'm, I'm not like fully clean. You don't recognize that you still look dirty, but you know you're cleaner than you were before. But now all of a sudden it's like, no, this is the station I want to maintain right here. No. That's not what God is doing. He's bringing us from glory to glory. He's, he's making us look like Jesus every single day. Oh, the goodness of God. Maybe you're here and you're coming out of the pig pen. And you've come to your senses and, and God has cut in your heart and said, now is the time for you to repent, to come home, to join in the celebration. For God's people, the party doesn't stop. Or maybe you're legalistic or moralistic and have forgotten that God has cleaned you up, but um, you're still on that journey as we all are. I want to pray for you. Would you stand, church? Father, we so thank you. We thank you for your word, for the power in your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word has power to save, that your word sanctifies, Lord, that your word does give course correction, Lord, that whatever you send your word to do, it never returns to you void. It always accomplishes what you send it to do. So we're thanking you in this very moment for what you've done in each and every one of our hearts this day. We thank you, Lord, for your open arms, for you running to your children as they return and embracing them, and kissing them, setting their feet on solid ground, Lord, putting a robe of celebration on them, a ring on their finger and sandals on their feet. Oh, God, I thank you for, for my robe, for my ring, for my sandals, Lord. 
like you. I pray, Lord, for those that are not here this day, that we're awaiting for you to draw them out of that pig pen, oh God. It's in every household here, including my own. Would you do a work, oh God? I ask, Lord, that you would give us such a compassion for the lost. Oh, we ain't mad at people that work for the IRS today, Lord. But for the sexually confused, for the adulterer, Lord, for the murderer, Lord, for the thief, Lord. Use us, oh God. That was once us. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would give us opportunities as we go out and interact with the lost of this world, that we would really, truly be salt and light. We pray for this church, Lord, that not only would you bring them in, but you would equip us and give us a heart and compassion for the lost that we would be willing to walk it out with them through each stage, Lord, as you're still doing that in us. Until the day that you call us home. But today, Lord, before we leave this place, we just want to sing a song of celebration because we are invited to the party. And you're going to bring us all the way home and we're going to keep on rejoicing and praising and lifting our voice about the goodness of God and how you've saved us, oh Lord. How you used us as your people and your instruments in the lives of others. And for that, Lord, we will give you praise this day. Let's sing, Brittany. Brittany.